listening friends. This is Addie Miller with today's Discerning the Drift ministry program. And as always, we are so happy that you are taking your very valuable time to listen in to today's program. Now, in the last couple of programs, we covered something called Native Spirituality Renewal. And of course, it's connected with the emerging church, which we are finding out that uh, most, if not 100% of apparent teachings within the walls of Christianity is connected to emergent postmodernism. And of course, as we find out what emergent postmodernism is all about, we are not at all surprised. So because we address this native spirituality renewal, and basically in a nutshell, if you haven't heard the two other programs previous to this one, in a nutshell, what it is, is there are individuals who are professing Christians, and it's not for us to say whether they are there or not, but they are teaching the indigenous people groups, the, uh, the, the Native American Indian, the, the Native Canadian Indian, or any other people groups around the country and around the world, that they can be followers of Christ, so to speak, which is a term I don't really care to use, but they can come to an understanding or acceptance of Jesus Christ as, and while they continue to keep their pr- previously um, practiced pagan rituals and religion. Now, for a, for a time in the in the decades past, there were people telling, uh, rightly so, telling us like like either Cajuns or 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 uh, the Irish or the American Indian or uh, you know the people the 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 Jamaican people who come here from Jamaica and. Uh, Cubans and so on and so forth, that if you come to a place of genuine salvation, you will have to give up much of what you believed and practiced in your cultural religion. And, and that was a, that was just an understood. It was a given thing that when you came to a, a, a genuine biblical salvation in Jesus Christ, you had to, um, you had to make sure that you investigated and researched what you were believing in the past and practicing in the past, and you had to decide through Scripture, of course, through the lens of Scripture, whether it was biblical for you to continue to keep that in your your frame of worship or you had to throw it out. Well, I know I've shared with you prior that I had to throw out a lot of what I was allowed to practice in my Cajun culture under the, the, uh, of being a member of the Church of Rome. So I had to, over the years, throw away, get rid of a lot of, um, beliefs, a lot of practices, traditions, rituals, and so forth. I had to get rid of that because as I studied scripture and I grew in the Lord, I realized that those were contrary to scripture and in many ways, in many times they were um dispelled they were they were they were said in scripture that they were unbiblical and considered occultic uh, under the guise of divination and sorcery and that kind of thing so as we grow in Christ we realize that that's how we kind of let the word and holy spirit the teacher of truth clean us up 
so to speak, not just in our behavior, but in our beliefs. So we, we address this native spiritual, uh, spirituality renewal with individuals saying that you can be a believer and you can still continue to practice what your ancestors practiced, which the majority of time was very pagan. And of course we realized as we went through, uh, the, the resource booklet that we used by Nancy Desjardins, who was, who is a, uh, a Cree Indian from Canada who is a born again believer, who is the one that is exposing the error of combining Christianity with paganism. And, and like I said before, I love going to people who once were a part of something that they are now exposing as unbiblical. And she is one of those people. Now, because we, we are on this vein, on this trek, I decided that I would share with you uh, a little bit more information about uh, this world Christian gathering of indigenous people. And it, it gathers probably every two to three years. It does not, it, it's not an every year thing. And it gathers in different areas of the world. And I'm thinking, I'm not really positive, but I think the last one was in 2011. Now there could have been a more current one, but Basically, it matters not whether it was in 2002 or 2006 or 2011. The fact is, is what is being promoted under the banner of Christianity saying that you can keep what your ancestors' religion was as a born-again Christian. And, of course, we know that uh, from our previous programs, we, we, we made mention of the fact that we are no longer part of our earthly culture, that we are part of the heavenly culture when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'm using as our resource today, uh, a booklet by Sandy Simpson and, um, it's called 10 questions for those who claim the supreme beings. And he has that in quotations of the nations are the true God or the one true God. Now he begins his little pamphlet, his little informative booklet with this following, this, these following statements. And this is by Sandy Simpson. When did any of the patriarchs and prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles or Jesus Christ in the New Testament ever claim that the supreme beings, and again in quotations, of the nations were Elohim, Yahweh, the one true God. And yet, this very thing is being taught by popular figures within the Christian church today. And friends, this is why we're covering this. It's because like mysticism, like Hinduism, like New Age philosophies and teachings, like the aberrant... Uh, um, teachings of a social gospel or social justice that's coming into the church under the banner of being Christian, this is also doing the same thing. It is coming into the church, into the professing church, into Christendom. So this is what discerning the drift is all about. So this is why we decided to cover 
this topic, even though it's something on the in, on the periphery, we still believe that it, it it's it's infiltrating covertly because it is said, well, this person is a Christian. This person came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and this person is is teaching this, so it's got to be right. Well, not necessarily. If it's only right if it passes the litmus test of scripture. We have to allow scripture to inter- interpret scripture. We have to allow things to be accepted or rejected through the lens of God's word because God's word is true truth and man's word is fallible. So we have to be cautious in that area. Now I'll go on with Sandy Simpson. I have 10 questions for the world's Christian gathering of indigenous people. And he goes on to name some of the some of the individuals that are involved. Now, many of these, some a couple of these, I'm aware of, and now several of these I am not. And he names the following: Don Richardson, Daniel Kikawa, the late Richard Twist, who is the one that Nancy Dejerlace in her Native Spirituality Renewal and the Emergent Church booklet introduced us to. He was a big proponent of telling the indigenous people groups, whether of Canada or the United States or possibly anywhere around the world, that you can accept Christ as Savior and you can also keep what you used to believe in your uh, your former religious practices. Now, the reason why we're doing this is because that's exactly what the, like, the Purpose Driven teaches this and so does the emergent postmodern movement. They teach that all you need to do is add Jesus to the mix. All you have to do is in a communal way, in a, in, in a, a, a communal form, you just accept Christ as, um, a form of your savior. I'm not going to say as savior because if he's not the sole savior, the, the, the way, the way, the truth and the life, then he is just a form of a savior that you're adding to the mix of your previously held uh, indigenous spirituality. So emergent postmodernism, friends, does this. This is why I would quote Brian McLaren many times when he said, you do, they, we are not, this is, and this is kind of ad-libbing, but he basically said, we are not out to make, uh, particular, uh, people in a particular way of Christ followers. We are making, uh, in specific, in a specific way, he meant he was saying that you can be a Christian and still be a follower of your former religion. That's why he would say you can be a follower of Jesus and remain a Hindu. You can be a follower of Jesus and remain an, uh, a Muslim. You can be a follower of Jesus and remain even an atheist or an agnostic. You see, so this goes hand in hand with what we have been teaching since the very first program of Discerning the Drift. This, These people are telling indigenous people groups that they can accept Christ as Savior and continue to practice what their shaman, their village shaman, tells them uh, to practice from uh, from from generations past. So this is the reason why we believe that this is is connected with the ministry of discerning the drift. 
Now, Sandy Simpson goes on to name a few other individuals um, uh, besides uh, the three that I just previously named, including Richard Twist, who we already know about. We we became aware of him through Nancy DeGerlais. Uh, he names uh, Terry LeBlanc, Danny Lehman, Aloha K. Akua, YWAM, and as well as many in the emergent postmodern movement, which, which we've already made that connection there. He goes on to say the questions arise from their claim that the supreme beings of the nations are all the true God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he goes into great detail, friends. He goes into great details. He asks questions, and then he answers the questions with scripture. And then gives his commentary about it. And I'll, I'll, I likely will not go through all of the 10 questions. But let me just give you a few highlights of those questions. Number one, he says, did Abraham claim that the God who was who called him from Haran was the same God as Baal, as the Baal of the Canaanites? So he quotes Genesis 12, 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now this is uh, um, Sandy's commentary. The word for Lord here in the above verse is Yahweh, the name of God, the I am. Baal was a false god of the Canaanites, not Yahweh. The supreme beings, and he always has that in quotations, of Canaan were actually a polytheistic couple. Baal and Asherah, as in all ancient cultures, modeled, pardon me, modeled after the false religion of Nimrom and Semiramis, pardon me, at Babel. Okay, so we, uh, we can be familiar with Baal and Asherah. Remember the Asherah poles? That uh, was spoken of in the Old Testament. That's where this comes from. And if you go back to the Tower of Babel and you study the religions that started there, it was so, it was completely uh, based on Nimrod and his wife Semiramis at the Tower of Babel. And that's a very interesting study if you're interested in that type of thing. And I would recommend it. It actually just filled in so many blanks for me about. Uh, especially about religions within the walls of Christianity and outside of the walls of Christianity always having a female deity. Because uh, uh, Semiramis set herself up as a female deity, as a goddess, and claimed that her son um, was divine. So does that not sound familiar See how, how Satan will, will create something that mirrors Christianity and, and, uh, and Jesus Christ and his virgin birth and, and, and his, uh, his divinity, his, his being incarnate. Uh, and, uh, so we have to watch for that counterfeit, friends, but it's everywhere. It, you know, Satan is very, very, um, adept at flying under the radar so to speak so we have to we have to make sure that we are aware of what's going on around us sandy goes on to say in one of his other questions he said did joseph upon being taken to egypt tell the pharaoh they had always been worshiping the true god by the name of amen well of course we know the answer to that no in jeremiah 46 25 he said the lord of hosts the god of israel saith behold i will punish the multitude of um 
of No and Pharaoh in Egypt with their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and all them that trust in him. So uh, Sandy says the God of Israel, thus the God of Joseph, said he would bring punishment on the false supreme being. And again, he has that in quotations of the Egyptians and the leaders who worshipped it. The supreme beings of Egypt were Ammon and Mutt. And then he goes on to um, to ask several other questions. Uh, one of them was, is uh, did Moses, after going up to the mountain of God, came down and tell Israel their worship of the golden calf was good because it was the same as the worship of Yahweh? Well, of course, we would say no. And he quotes Exodus 32.8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said... These be the, thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out up out of the land of Egypt. And Sandy goes on to say the golden calf uh, is contrasted against the true God of Israel by Moses. Interestingly, the golden calf was not only an idol meant to take the place of Yahweh, but it was a symbol of the Pharaoh who was considered a god by the Egyptians. I think that's a great um, a great point. I have established that the only God specifically called a golden calf by the ancient Egyptians in their writings is Pharaoh in the Old Kingdom Pyramid texts. These texts exist in later New Kingdom times uh, in reworked formats. So in these texts, Pharaoh calls himself a golden calf born of heaven who wishes to be allowed to board the sacred solar bark or boat which carries the sun god each day across the heavens. And, of course, the, the Pharaoh was also called the son of the sun. And in New Kingdom times, the sun, in letters from Canaanite princes, addressed to Pharaoh uh, Akhenaten. And, of course, that was in uh, 1350 to 1334 uh, B.C. So Israel, this is Sandy. So Israel wanted to go back to Egypt and back under the rule of the Pharaoh, who was to be worshipped as a god. So he's he's making a very good point there that one is not um, cannot be superimposed onto the other. Two different uh, two different uh, beings. One is real, the the true God of Scripture, and one is a false dead God that is worshipped by uh, pagans. The next one says, did Joshua in conquering the nations in Canaan claim that Baal was the true, was the true God? Well, of course not. Then he goes on to talk, to, uh, to talk about, um, to quote a scripture in Judges 2, 8 through 13. And he says, uh, that, and let me just read that in part. Uh, because of time's sake. And there ro- arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, not yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people who were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherah. Now, Sandy says during the time of Joshua, the people of Israel worshiped the true God by and large. But a generation after Joshua died, they turned away from Yahweh to the worship of Baal and Asherah. The supreme beings, again in quotations of Canaan, were the Baals and the Asherahs. 
Uh, and he goes on to ask the next question. Did Elijah test the prophets of Baal on Mount Car- Carmel just as, uh, just for a good laugh because Baal was really the true God? Well, of course we know the answer to that is no. I guess you're seeing a pattern. All of the, the answers to all of the questions is no. And then he goes on to quote 1 Kings 18.21, um, having to do with Elijah and, um, Elijah is saying, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. So he's saying, you have to choose one. You cannot accept both. There's no possible way that you can do that. So he said, so uh, Sandy says, the whole conflict was between the false God Baal and the true God Yahweh. Postmodern progressive inclusivists, and that's the, the emergent postmodern church, friends, and I think we have made our case showing and proving that they are bringing in false, heretical, even to the degree of being apostate teachings under the banner of Christianity. So Sandy goes on to say, postmodern progressive inclusivists of today would have never had this showdown. It would have shown that inclusivism is garbage. The supreme beings of Canaan were the Baals and the Asherahs. Now, here are some of the other questions that he asks, of course, and it's just to point out the fact that there is nothing in scriptures that says that you can ex- you can worship Yahweh and then just add another God to your worship. Uh, and he's just making that point. Here's another question that he asked. Did David tell the Philistines to continue to worship the God Dagon because he was the same as Yahweh? Of course, the answer is no. And he quotes 1 Samuel 5, 7. And then uh, the, another question, he says, did Daniel tell King Nebuchadnezzar to continue the worship of Marduk as the one true God? And of course, the answer is no. And he quotes Daniel 4, 33-37. Another question he asks is, did Ezra and Nehemiah ask the Persians if they could rebuild the temple as a tribute to the Persian god Ahura Mazda? And again, the answer is no. And he quotes uh, scripture as, um, uh, Ezra 7:19 as his scripture reference. And then uh, the the last one, he says, did Paul use a clever? Here's your New Testament example. Did Paul use a clever missiological technique by telling the Greeks that God is Zeus, or the Romans that he is Jupiter, or the Ephesians that he is embodied in Artemis? And of course, again, the answer is no. And he quotes the scriptures, Acts 14, 11 through 18. Now, if you, I, I taught, um, um, the book of Ephesians. It was fascinating and we went deep into it and we even, we even talked about and looked at the worship of the goddess Artemis and we, we went into, uh, details about what the rituals undertook and what you did to come to, to, into her presence in her temple and all of that kind of thing. It was fascinating. Of course, it took us like a year and a half to go through Ephesians, but we learned so much. And I think, uh, my, my little special ladies group really seemed to appreciate it. But Sandy goes on to say of this, uh, this example of, of, uh, Paul, not um, including the false Greek gods and Roman gods and the the goddess of, of of the Ephesians, he says this situation is entirely consistent with Paul teaching over and over again that the Gentiles do not know God. 
We did not. You see, like Israel, they knew God. They knew God Yahweh. They may have rejected Jesus Christ as a whole. Uh, you know what? We know that there there were uh, many Jews uh, that, uh, well, you know, all the apostles, they, they came to know Christ. But as a whole, the nation of Israel, uh, they rejected Jesus as Messiah, but they, they accepted the one true God, Yahweh. So uh, Sandy goes on to say, Paul was there to bring them the gospel, not to syncretize their own God with the God of the Bible. This is exactly what he did in Areopagus, also when he explained to them who the unknown God was, and most of them did not want to hear the truth. And is that not typical? We see that today. We share the biblical truth. Many times it is painful. Many times it is disconcerting. Many times it steps on toes. But friends, we seek to please the Lord and not men. And that's what discerning the drift is all about. And if, and, and we're just so thankful that this station allows us to do what our heart's cry is. Now he goes on and he quotes Galatians 4, 8. How be it then when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. So he's talking about the, the Gentiles. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 21. And then he goes on to quote several other scriptures. Because, I mean, it's unending, friends. The debate is just, it's just shut down. Just via scripture. Without, we wouldn't even have to say anything. We wouldn't have to have any commentary. All we'd have to do is quote scripture. And that would make our case for us. So he goes on to, to quote 1 John 3, 1. Romans 1, 28. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. And then he goes on to make this comment. The supreme beings, again in quotations, of the Greeks were Zeus and Hera. Though Zeus had a number of other consorts spawning a pantheon of gods, Jupiter and Juno were the supreme beings of Rome, again spawning a pantheon of other gods. Artemis was a virgin goddess, never married, but was the daughter of Zeus and Leto. So you, so when you study Artemis like we did, you find all that out. It was just simply fascinating. But anyway, so you see how it, it's a multiplicity of gods. You might start with just two, but because they procreate, you're going to end up with this, this polytheism like in Hinduism. So that takes us back to the New Age teachings that are coming under the banner of Christianity. That's actually Hindu in nature and it's now disguised at now uh, uh, Hindu yoga is now Christian yoga. Now um, uh, this this Hinduistic form of meditation is now considered contemplative meditation because it's being promoted through the mystics of the past and the present. So we have to be informed. We have to be Bereans. So uh, Sandy goes on to quote in conclusion, the obvious answer to the questions above, both from the Bible and historical records, is a resounding no. So all 10 of his questions, the answer is no. And he goes on to quote more scripture. Scripture makes the case for us. He says, there is only one name, Jesus Christ, under heaven by which men may be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other 
name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And yet, Sandy says, and yet, present-day false teachers claim a person can be saved uh, by generally knowing God without the revelation of Jesus Christ. And friends, we know that that is a stepping stone is you, you see Romans one, you see scripture tells you that, that nature and, and just things working the way that they do so perfectly, like a, like a fine, a, a, a fine tuned, um, or timed watch is tells us that there is a God, but that does not save us. We have to go further in the understanding that we are a sinner in uh, in need of a savior and Jesus is the only savior he is the way the truth and the life so this is abundantly clear says Sandy in books and messages and DVDs put out by uh, by such teachers on this subject and um, all of these gatherings that are taking place he says like emergent false teachers that also cannot answer the many verses in the Bible, which states that the Gentiles did not know God. This type of teaching, says Sandy, Sandy, constitutes a grand illusion in the last day's apostasy and a new radical replacement theology where the one true God of the Bible is replaced with supreme beings, again in quotations, from all cultures, and Israel is replaced by all the nations. Now remember, replacement theology is people that believe that God is done with Israel and the church has replaced Israel. And we have to keep that in mind when we study and we read people's books. Because there are a lot of people who promote replacement theology. He says, this heresy has even helped Bible translation societies to put the names of the false gods of the nations into the Bible. That's how dangerous such teaching is. It undermines the very gospel of Jesus Christ itself. It puts at risk the eternity of millions of souls. Now, Sandy Simpson has a book that's entitled His Name, The Only One. And I'm going to read you a little bit of, of uh, a little excerpt, some excerpts from this book. And I think it will, it will kind of bring everything, uh, into focus and it'll be a good, uh, finishing point for this topic about teaching like the emergence teach you can believe anything and just add jesus to it you can be an indigenous people group and just add jesus to it you can be um anything that you want to be and keep that culture that religion of your culture and and uh, your spiritual beliefs no matter how pagan they are and just add jesus to it see that's what that's what emergent postmodern is postmodernism is friends and that is what social justice does social gospel does a social gospel is exactly what we have been just describing and those social gospel that social gospel is being promoted by multitudes of people who are followed by multitudes of people so we have to know who these people are. I mean, we have people now that are on, that are beating the drum of white privilege because of social justice and the social gospel. We have people like Tim Keller, who is, he is probably one of the most, I've said this before, he's probably one of the most dangerous men that I have studied because he is so subtle. We have people like David Platt and Matt Chandler. 
and those types of individuals, new up and coming people. Okay. And they are teaching very aberrant beliefs. And I think we have made our case for that in, in our programs thus far. So here's ex- a, a few excerpts from uh, Sandy Simpson's book, His Name, The Only One. And he he begins by quoting Zechariah 14.9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. So he goes on to say, many self-proclaiming Christians who are influential in the churches are promoting the worship of God in the names of other gods. Here are just a few examples. There is an There is an unwarranted skepticism towards the heathen's possession, if at all, of a very limited and low knowledge of the divine from the so-called natural native religions. The, The adoption of a local name for the universal God will facilitate mutual transformation of both Christianity and the native religion and culture. Friends, that is so wrong. It's so unbiblical. And that is from the Society of Biblical Literature, the Bible Translation Society. The next quote is from Teresa of Calcutta. She says this, I love all religions. If people become better Hindus, better Muslims, better Buddhists by our acts of love, then there is something else growing there. He goes on to talk about Richard Twist, who we were introduced to by Nancy Desjardins in her booklet, Native Spirituality Renewal, in quotations, and the Emerging Church. Um, Richard Twist was on the 700 Club show with Gordon Robertson, Pat Robertson's son. And in an interview, he told Gordon that the great spirit of the Indians is the same as the Holy Spirit. Robertson heartily agreed. He said, so by finding the native name of God, which is in in Japan, we find that name as Ameno, Minaka Nushi, which means the God, which means the God in the glorious center of heaven, and He is their Creator, God who created everything, uh, God who created everything, and so we found this name, the Creator God, and it immediately says He's a Japanese God and He loves them. Well, friends, that's wrong. <laughs> You cannot superimpose the name of God, the name of Yahweh, the one true God, onto a false pagan God and make it right. Now, I was going to share this later on, but this is just this perfect moment for me to share this upcoming information that I just got in my Baptist message uh, news journal that I, that I still receive in the mail. Now, I hope, friends, what I'm getting ready to share with you will be deeply troubling. I I really, I mean that sincerely, not in a harmful way, but I I just really hope that this causes you great concern. I just received the Baptist message. And on page, the very, one of the very back pages, that's on page 12, it is about a young man named J.D. Greer. And he was approached, he he is the, the pastor of the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. He was approached as to be a candidate for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for the second time. Now, this is a young man. You know, he looks like an emergent, postmodern, you know. And I, I, just by looking at him, you can, because they have a certain look. You know, I know you don't, you shouldn't judge people by the, by the way they look, but they're kind of all clones, 
They all look the same. They all dress the same. They they all have like they, there's like some of the same mannerisms. It's just really it's really bizarre. But anyway, I started reading this article about this young man because I I you know because I had some red flags by uh, just by what I was picking up on in the article. So I decided to read the whole thing. Well, he was uh, he did an interview on September 30th of 2010 on uh, the website of the Gospel Coalition, which I'm not a fan of the Gospel Coalition, and I'm getting ready to talk about them in the near future. And their connections are very, very suspicious uh, about with other networks. Um, because the gospel cohesion is very, it's, it's a definitely, it's a group of, of, uh, very hyper Calvin, neo hyper Calvinistic churches. But anyway, we're not going to chase that rabbit now. JD, this is the question in part that was asked this young man. He says, you make the case that Muslims do worship the same God as Christians, although with obvious errors in the understanding. Can you elaborate on how you came to this conclusion and how you would maintain major distinctions between Muslim and Christian understandings of God? Now, this is J.D. Greer answering the question from the Gospel Coalition. This is a tough question that has a considerable amount of complexity to it. Okay, let's stop right here. No, it does not. That is not a complex question. It is very simple. The God of the Muslims does not have a son. The God of the Muslims did not come in an incarnation to save uh, mankind from their sins. It says that on the in the Quran that Allah has no son, and it says it on the 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 temple the the mosque that's on the temple mount in uh around the the dome uh, there it says that that Allah has no son so look he is saying oh this is just really complicated well that's what people say when they want to straddle the fence so listen to what he says for uh in part I'm not going to read it all because it's a little lengthy he says Muslims came to claim to worship the God of Adam, Abraham, and Moses. Most missionaries find it therefore helpful to use the Arabic term for Allah, meaning literally the deity. Friends, that is not what Allah means. Allah means moon God. See how he watered that down? The term for God in Arabic is, is Allah, which mean, literally means moon God. I continue. To refer, to refer to God and to explain the God, the God Muslims believe in, the God of the prophets was the God also pre present in bodily form in Jesus Christ and the one, capital letter O, worshiped by Christians for the past two millennia. You might ask, but isn't the Islamic God so different from the Christian God that they cannot properly, proper, properly, pardon me, be called by the same name? Aren't we worshiping two different gods? Well, friends, the answer is yes. There is one true God, and the other God is a false God. He goes on to say, this is J.D. Greer, Believing wrong things about God and worshiping incorrectly doesn't mean one is worshiping a different God. Just that they were worshiping the one true God incorrect. So what he's saying is the Muslims are worshiping the, wrong tr the one true God, but they're worshiping him in an incorrect manner. Friends, that is so not true.
I mean, I, it's like what I need more. I need stronger language to get that across. This is such a lie because if you study anything about Islam and Allah and Muhammad, you will know that Islam, the God of Islam, Allah is not the same God as Yahweh God. It's impossible for that to be. Now, is this man being purposefully deceptive or is he just being, is he just deceived? Not my call, but I'm telling you, this is making inroads into the church. This is a young man who has a growing, thriving church in North Carolina. And he, and he is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. What is wrong with these people? I keep asking that question, hoping that somebody will give the answer. The only answer I have is deception. Either they're deceived or they are choosing to deceive the people that they are leading. It is just absolutely appalling to me that this young man would be approached to be a candidate for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for the second time. So can we just stop and take a pause here and say, I need to be concerned about this? Because friends, anytime you have a Christian or a denomination within the walls of Christianity, within Christendom, that tells you that the God of the Muslims is the same God as the biblical God, Yahweh, there's a problem, and it's a big one. Now, before I return to uh, Sandy Simpson's information from little excerpts from his book, I want to read something to you really quick. The church's relationship with the Muslims. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. In the first place, amongst whom are the Muslims? These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. Friends, that is a direct quote from the Catechism of the Church of Rome. Catechism number 841. Check me up on this. It's there. I just read directly from the Catechism of the Church of Rome, number 841. We need to be appalled. We do. Now, let me go ahead and go back to Sandy's uh, excerpt from his book when he is quoting people who are saying that pagan gods can be uh, compatible or the God of, the, of, of scripture, Yahweh, can be superimposed on a pagan God and it makes it all the same God. Let's go on and continue and see what Sandy has to say. Here's a quote. You can keep your own religion, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism. You just need to add Jesus to the equation. Then you become complete. You become a Buddhist with Jesus, a Hindu with Jesus, a Muslim with Jesus, and so on. You can throw out the term Christianity and still be a follower of Jesus. In fact, you can throw out the term Christian too. In some countries, you could be persecuted for calling yourself a Christian, and there is no need for that. Just ask Jesus into your heart. You don't have to identify yourself as a Christian. 
Friends, that is from Rick Warren, Southern Baptist Golden Boy, pastor of Saddleback Church, author of Purpose Driven. Is that not appalling? I hope it is to you because it always has been to me. This is not new to me. I have read it many times before. Here's another quote by uh, New Age sympathizer Leonard Sweet, who is an emergent church author. Now, we have talked about Leonard Sweet before. Remember, in our past programs, we exposed him for who he is. Here is his, uh, his quote. New Light Embodiment, and that's New Light, capital N and capital L, embodiment means to be in connection, that's in quotations, and in formation with other faiths. To be in formation means to know each other's songs almost as well as one knows them oneself, and to enlarge the community to include those whose conceptions of God differ from ours in form. One can be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ without denying the flickers of the sacred in the followers of Yahweh or Kali or Krishna. Now, friends, let me, let me, you know who Yahweh is. Okay. It's the one true God of scripture. Who is Kali? Kali is the Hindu goddess of death. Who is Krishna? Krishna is also a Hindu God. I'll go on with Leonard Sweet's uh, quote. A globalization of evangelism in connection with others and a globally informed gospel is capable of talking across the fence with Hindu, Buddhist, Sikh, Muslim, people from other so-called new religious traditions. And he said new only to us, mainly they're basically saying that they're old traditions, but they're new to us without assumption of superiority and power. So in other words, we cannot as Christians assume that we are superior and that we serve the one true God who is all powerful. That's Leonard Sweet, friends, the guy that we we have talked about in past programs. Now here's Henry Nowen. If you have been with us, you recognize the name Henry Nowen. He is a Catholic mystic. Today I personally believe that while Jesus came to open the door to God's house, And I'm going to go back to that in just a moment. Hold on to that thought. Open the door to God's house. All human beings can walk through the door, that door, whether they know about Jesus or not. Today, I see it as my call to help every person claim his or own way to God. Now, this open the door to God's house, this teaching that Jesus came to open the door to salvation or open the door to God's house is very prominent in people that are not Bible centered. They say this. This is what it means simply in a nutshell. It means that Jesus opened the door. But you have to work your way through. So what is that teaching friends? It's teaching a works based salvation. That Jesus did not finish it all. He might have done 98, 99% but you have to do the rest. So he opened the door but you have to work your way in that door. So that whenever you see that. That's exa- exactly what it means. Okay, here's a quote by um, uh, Peter Kraft. He's a professor and author, and he's very uh, often quoted in evangelical books. Now, he is a, uh, a Church of Rome convert, and friends, he is quoted by some uh, some very prominent uh, uh, Christian leaders. Mark Driscoll quotes him. Chuck Colson quotes him. J.I. Packer quotes him. Here's... Uh, Peter Kraft's quote. Listen to this carefully. Allah is not another God. Well, I could stop right there, right? And we could be appalled. But let me continue. We worship the same God, says Kraft. 
We can and should investigate and learn from the wisdom in other religions. Really. I hope I am not just, I am not the only one who is in, in utter disbelief and really, uh, sadness. Because how is it that we have, we are allowing this into our churches? Now, the following is Robert Schuller of Crystal Cathedral. We know the things the major faiths can agree on. We try to focus on those without offending those with different viewpoints or without compromising the integrity of my own Christian commitment. Well, friends, that's called compromise. It's either God 100% or it's not. It's either Yahweh and his word and Jesus Christ is the only true, uh, the, the true Messiah or it's not. No, there's, there's, there's no middle of the road. You pick one side or the other. Here's another quote of Schultz, uh, 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 quote from Schuler. Pardon me. Standing before a crowd of devout Muslims with the Grand Mufti, I know there that we're all doing God's work together. Standing on the edge of a new millennium, we're laboring hand in hand to repair the breach. Another quote. The Christ spirit dwells in every human being, whether the person knows it or not. Now, how many times have we shared that in our, our teachings and our, 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 uh, our exposing of false beliefs? That the divinity of God dwells in everyone and everything. That is pantheism, it's, it's new age, and it is, a, it is apostasy. Here is Brian McLaren. Emerging church leader. It may be advisable in many, not all circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish context. Is our religion the only one that understands the true meaning of life or does God place the truth in others too? The gospel is not our gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom of God and that belongs to the kingdom of God cannot be hijacked by Christianity. Brian McLaren, friends of which we've shared lots of information in our past programs. Now, I see once again our time is up, and we thank you for joining us, and we pray that you have a blessed day.